Hey there, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful, wearying world of mixed martial arts. That's the other W I'm going with at the moment because, boy, has it been – it's a rough stretch. It's a rough stretch to be a fan. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your usual host for this particular show. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Thank you for liking, comments, subscriptions. Uh, I know there's a fair no- – not a ton of you that listen to this, but there are people that listen. Interact with the product a little bit. Give it a thumbs up. Give it a like. Uh, if you can do a nuanced rating instead of just straight up or down, feel free to give us whatever you think it deserves. But help us out a little bit. Interact with the product. It helps out with all the analytics, all the algorithms. And the algorithms are going to be running our existence in the next 20 years. So let's help them out a little bit, please. I'd appreciate it. Okay, tonight on the show, we have a review of last night's seven-fight card, UFC on ESPN plus 34. Uh not a great night of fights, but not te- not the dirt worst either. Uh, we have a preview for this coming event, because the UFC has an event every week until mid-December. I don't know how long. Jesus. Yeah, that uh, starting, I think, a couple of weeks ago, uh, month, might even be a month and a half, we hit a stretch where it's like, hey, literally every week until the middle of December. Uh, they're trying to make up that lost ground from when they, because they have to, from when they uh, had their, you know, month or so off. They've got to make. Don't forget the up. contender series. Yeah, but I don't watch that. Okay. Uh, if it were on a different night, I would probably cover it for the site, but uh, my Tuesdays are otherwise. But technically, like, multiple event, you know, multiple multiple events per week. Yeah, they're they're churning out content. So we'll be previewing that. We have some miscellaneous fight announcements. Uh, we have some more pointed fight announcements. And then I think the only thing approximating big news related to former UFC heavyweight champion Brock Lesnar. So everyone's going to talk about him at least a little bit. We might as well, too. Uh, the voice you've heard chiming in on occasion is 411 Luminary and my normal partner in crime here back after a little bit of a hiatus because the life life the world is crazy jeff harris is back with us jeff how the heck are you i mean i'm not great but i could be doing worse um it is true and actually you know not to make excuses but i have had other 411 related responsibilities including my own uh 411 podcast uh not weekly but semi-regular uh where i interview wrestling personalities and whatnot which you can find on the 411 mania youtube channel and the 411 wrestling interviews podcast so just uh just a heads up my last interview was with rvd but we are here to talk about ufc last night's ufc card and thank you for having me back on robert you're always welcome here sir okay let's jump into last night's event then uh before we talk about the fights i just want to run down very briefly because again This was a seven-fight card. That's the least number of fights the UFC has had on a card since November of 2005 when the Ultimate Fighter Season 2 finale took place. That was 15 years ago. Yeah. Every other event since then has been eight or more. Uh, I was waiting for us to hit six, which would have been tied 
with three other events for the lowest number of fights on a UFC event ever. Uh, I imagine there's a pretty good chance we'll hit that particular marker as the given the well, UFC's business practices and the state of the world. Were all the was there like a COVID outbreak or what happened here? There's a very real possibility there was some kind of an outbreak at the UFC Performance Institute, and we just haven't heard about it because, yeah, uh, last week when we talked, when we previewed the event, there were mo- there were uh, more event- more fights than this on there. But okay. what we lost, uh, we had a few fights that got moved to later weeks. Uh, the big ones, I think, is I think we were at 10 or so last week when we previewed. Uh, we wound up losing, what did we lose? Uh, okay. Yeah. We lost a fight between Nico Montano and Julia Avila that got pushed back to, uh, another event that'll be on the Holman Aldana card in October. Uh, we lost do do Tiago Moises. Oh, hey, we lost. Oh, I remember. We lost Kama Worthy versus Otman Isatar, which I was kind of low-key yeah. looking forward to. Uh, that got moved to the Santos versus Teixeira card, which is no longer Santos versus Teixeira. Uh, then, so we were down to about 10 or so fights on the day of. Uh, yeah. Brian Kelleher lost. He was originally supposed to fight Ricky Simone. By the time we got to last week, it was a replacement fighter. That fell out on weigh-in day, but the UFC had had some kind of alternate guy weigh in, so he wound up fighting uh, Ray Rodriguez on a day's notice. Same day of the event, we lost uh, Tiago Moises versus Jalen Turner, another fight I was kind of looking forward to, and Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Alexander Romanov, uh, which I could not possibly have cared less about. And yeah, we went ahead with just seven fights. Uh, uh, also, Macy Tiasan, uh, Sajari Eubanks was supposed to happen. Yeah, that and now got I bumped. think you, Eubanks is now fighting against Julia Avila at next week, apparently. Yeah. That was not a COVID pullout, apparently. Um, uh, Chiasan pulled out for undisclosed medical reasons, replaced by Carol Rosa. Rosa pulled out due to weight cutting issues. So, well, yeah, the the circ the 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 story of getting to the event these days is frequently more interesting than about half the fights. But yeah, that's how we arrived at a like 2014, 2016 all over again. It is much worse than that. Well, yes, you know. But no, but it reminds, I, me, it reminds me. It reminds me of those those years. All right. Anyway, we did keep our main event. I mean, if that had fallen out, I don't know what would have happened to this card. Uh, in your main event, Alistair Overeem defeats Augusto Sakai via TKO, elbows, punches at 26 seconds of the fifth round. Um, Alistair Overeem, before I get into any of the technical stuff, Alistair Overeem is one of the most bizarrely impressive fighters you will ever find. Maybe not an individual performance, though he has had those. Alistair Overeem debuted as a professional fighter in 1999. Um, He debuted 
he became a professional fighter five years before Michael Bisping became a professional fighter. And he's 40 years old now. He's 40. I mean, for other context, Alistair Overeem had 10 professional fights before the September 11th attacks. I don't know too many people on the UFC roster right now at all who have any documented fights before uh, September 11th. I think um, Robbie Lawler has a few. I think there's somebody else. But that generation has just kind of aged out. And this was a very dangerous fight for him. He's fighting a younger, you know, up-and-coming surging heavyweight. Yeah, this was, I know he lost, but I think in some respects, this is one of Sakai's better outings. He didn't really have the same kind of long periods of inactivity that have plagued some of his other, even wins. Uh, you know, the, the old, uh, not over him, sorry, the Arlovsky win was unbelievably dull. And, and he gave over him a lot of problems in this fight. Yeah, he did a good job at occasionally blitzing, pushing over him to the fence, getting some combinations off. He was at least going even in all of the clinch exchanges, which is a heck of a thing to do. Overeem's clinch game is top-notch. But by the um, I had Overeem, I think, ahead by one round going into the fourth. Then the fourth round happens, and Overeem is able to get a takedown and just unloads on from top position. Sakai did not seem to have a great bottom game especially urgency getting mm -hmm. up and i will cut him a minor bit of slack because he is far from unique in that respect anytime anybody who weighs that much i mean both these guys were around 260 anybody who weighs that much uh just getting up and down is a pain it, it, it sucks it's difficult and trying to do that with someone like alistair Overeem standing over you is certainly not a <sighs> easy proposition but it's a part of the game that he really does need to address because he gave up on all three judges scorecards a 10-8 in the fourth round after Overeem's not just time on top but damage that he inflicted uh fifth round Overeem instantly shoots gets him down unloads from basically leg drag position uh gets the stoppage Sakai had moments of success. I gave him the first round. Uh, I think the the second round was close. Third was the third. He had that flurry against the fence. Yeah. Sakai, How did you score the third? Uh, I I think I edged it for Overeem. But okay. It was a close round. Okay. Uh, the Sakai has very fast hands. Again, he has a good clinch game. He had he was trading knees with Overeem, and that's a dangerous. open too. He did some damage. Elbows in the clinch. Yes, yeah, Sakai has a lot of upside still, especially at heavyweight, which is just in dire if need. He can, if he can, you know, not get too discouraged by this loss and you know get back to work, he can. He can definitely. I think he can still go places. Yeah, because Overeem, you know. Overeem's sort of in this kind of weird place, but he's he's still one of the top fighters in the division, right? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I was impressed with the cardio of both guys last night. And that and and when you're fighting at heavyweight, Robert, having cardio that good can be a real asset. 
Yeah, both men seemed to find a pace they knew they could fight for five rounds at, and they both stuck to it. But, mo- I mean, the vast majority of that division, you get them into the, into the fourth round at the pace Third even round, these guys. second round, they're huffing and puffing, you know? Yeah, at the pace even these guys were fighting at, which was not gangbusters. No. They couldn't maintain it. I mean, that's kind of the nature of heavyweight. But, you know, I was happy to see a heavyweight fight for once, you know, where they're getting into the later rounds and they're not, like, just hands on their hips and all that you know and just that, like that is a that is a nice thing to see on occasion isn't it <laughs> yeah um i was impressed because it, it, it felt like both guys knew they weren't going to be in a five-round fight and they paid and they prepared it looked like both guys prepared for a five-round fight and i was impressed with that so that's why i i agree with you that sakai has upside if he can you know just work on closing in those gaps because he was competitive again. He was competitive against a top five heavyweight for all intents and purposes or a top 10 heavyweight. At least he should be top. Yeah. There's, there's some discrepancy about where Overeem was ranked here. He should have been number five. For some reason, they still have Daniel Cormier ranked at three. Cormier's retired. Take yeah. him off the rankings. Yeah, I agree. Pretty much, pretty much a top five heavyweight. Oh, he is number five now. Uh, looks like, it looks like Cormier is off the rankings now. Well, considering that on the broadcast, when they showed the heavyweight rankings, Cormier's response was, who's that at number three? He's retired. Get him off of there. Yeah. Good point by Cormier. Um, I like the main event. I mean, was it like fight of the year? No, but I thought it was a good fight. Two solid fighters who were clearly skilled <coughs> having a good fight. It did go into the later rounds, but I, I think... Overeem turned the fight around in the fourth round and he picked up an impressive win. So it was a good, it was a good much needed win for Overeem. Obviously he's not going to be fighting for the title anytime soon, but getting a win like this over, over a dangerous tough opponent who's, who's a lot younger than him. It makes a good account for him in the current state of the division Considering he is a guy with so many fights under his belt, and he's put over 20 years in this sport, and he's 40 years old, you know, to be able to go in there and prove you can hang with a younger, hungry opponent, that's, it's good that Overeem can prove he can still do that at this point in his career. Yeah, I... I know he wants to make another run at the belt. I think both he and a lot of the response to this has been realistic. Not that he can't do it, but it... It was not going to happen off of a win here. There's just a couple of major complications ahead of in right. front of him. Because we have the Ngannou situation, the you John have... Jones, the John Jones situation. Yep. Excuse me. Um, he wasn't calling for a title shot after the fight. He was talking about Derek Lewis, who, oddly enough, he has not fought yet. But Derek Lewis, I believe, is fighting Curtis Blades next. Correct. Yes, and so, if Lewis beats Blades, uh, you could maybe match them up. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Overeem would fight Blades again. Not only did he already lose, but they're training partners now. Yeah, uh, so that's a tough go. <laughs> that's a tough go. I would definitely match Bla- uh, uh, Lewis up with Overeem if Lewis were to win. Yeah. Um, that fight is supposed to happen November 28th. So that's a big if. Like, Blades is good, but 
I, I think, think Blake. I, mean, I can look, see I think, Lewis. Win, I can see Lewis winning that fight. Basically, you know, Lewis winning that fight would, is not at all impossible. It is a stylistic unlikelihood. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Lewis. Lewis is good about getting back up most of the time, but he has some real bad habits when he does so. And Blades is a guy that is very, very content to just wrestle you to death. And I think Lewis. It's not a favorable matchup on paper. So. Okay, so here's, I mean, it's lower down the ranks, but there is Abdurakimov, who I don't think he's fought yet. Uh, Abdurakimov is certainly a possibility. Um, and, Volkov uh, is still Volkov. hanging around there. Volkov, yeah. Um, he could also, you know what? It's not. It wouldn't. It's not the worst thing for Overeem to wait around right now. I mean, I he is 40 years old, but he's. He's remained fairly in fairly good condition, and again, he made a good account for himself last night. It's not like it's not like when I see Overeem lose, it's not like Junior Dos Santos, you know, where it looks like he's falling apart in front of our eyes. Yeah, Overeem, even when he loses, even when he loses badly, he doesn't give off a lot of the signs of a shot fighter that you'd be worried about. Well, look, he lost to like he lost to Curtis Blades. And then he came back. He got back-to-back wins. Um, then he lost to Rosenstrike, and he got back. You know, he got back on the horse and got back-to-back wins. So you know, I wouldn't hate a rematch between Overeem and Rosenstrike. Let's see, because where is Rosenstrike right now? Rosen's yeah, you you could do it down the line because they did have a competitive fight. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure what Rosenstrike is doing next, but. I, I just wouldn't I just wouldn't object to that rematch if that's what's next for both yeah, guys. Yeah, I, I feel you. I I'd be completely okay with that. Let's see. Let's see if Ro- I, you could you could do it easily somewhere down the line if if those guys need a match. So Rosenstrike just got the Dos Santos win last month, so he doesn't have a fight lined up. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Honestly, I'm fine with letting these guys, you know, just take take some time to rest, take some time off. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a guy that tends to clamor for people to fight, you know, three to four times a year. I, I think that's a very unsustainable way to yeah. fight. I but, liked I like I mean, it wasn't like gangbusters, but generally I liked what was on display in the main event. Yeah, it was it was a compelling fight and it never got boring. So for yeah. heavyweights, I will call that a win every day of the week, pretty much. Uh, your co-main event, Olven St. Preux, he knocked Alonzo Menafield out cold with a just pullback counter left. Uh, Menafield never got a handle on kind of managing the distance of St. Preux. Uh this was not a very interesting fight. Beautiful knockout. Uh, Manafield tries to close distance by lunging, but St. Preux is far enough away from the fence that he can angle instead of backing straight into it. Eats the right to the body, but Manafield's right hand does not come back to protect his head. It comes back to his waist in preparation for him coming up on a left hook. St. Preux sees that, clobbers him with a left. He face plants. Dunzo. Uh, nice finish. Utterly uninteresting fight, and I just don't care about Ovin St. Preux at this point. He's a high-level—he's a—maybe not high-level. He's a mid-level journeyman. 
He's a mid-level gatekeeper. Yeah, he's a good enough guy to keep around. He's going to teach a young guy a lesson on occasion. He'll provide a decent enough resume he's not builder. Even in, he's not even in the top 15, Robert. And, and I can't make it pretty an, fair. And I can't, yeah, I can't make an argument for him being in the top 15. So, I mean, he's still there. He's still kicked. Earlier this year, he lost to Ben Rothwell by split decision. Yeah, that fight sucked. Oh, that fight was at heavyweight, too. Mm-hmm. Eesh. Um, OSP is going to hang around. He's going to fill out cards, but you, you can only spend so much time being young and promising. You know, eventually you're neither young nor promising. And he's at this point, neither young nor promising. I feel like he kind of hit his ceiling a few years ago. I mean, he kinda backed, that. he kind of got, he kind of backed into a title shot against John Jones. And that was yeah. kind of the highlight of his career. That's about this. Yeah. And that's about the ceiling for him. I feel like he had a, he had a run where he beat Hogerio de Lima, Okami and Corey Anderson. Fair play to him there. Then he lost to Eler Latifi. And, and look, Latifi is a decent fighter, but he's not a, he's not an elite competitor. You know, he never yeah. has been. Um, Eler Latifi, Latifi, yeah. who should have beaten Derek Lewis in that in that fight, I scored yeah. that for him. Uh, this is just kind of he'll win fights like this against Alonzo Menafield, but you know, this is kind of where I see him staying. He's going to stay around this level. He might be at a couple upper level upper level opponents because he is a good athlete. He is a good athlete, and he is clearly skilled because he's managed to hang around this long in the UFC. You don't do that without having a decent level of athleticism and skill, but he's not good enough to be a perennial contender. Like say, a, like say Gustafsson in, in, you know, the better times of his career. Heck Glover. I mean, Glover to share has been a perennial yeah. contender for, you know, yeah. eight years at this point. And, and Glover has continued to do fairly well. So yeah, that it was a good finish. It was a, I mean, it was a really nice finish. It was a but just very for example, fight. I would still pick I would still pick Glover to share it to share it a beat over in St. Pro. Uh, ditto. Uh, I think we're just gonna do the rest of these and we can do quick hits on yeah, this yeah. because it's not that there's nothing interesting, but there's nothing worth really devoting tremendous amount of time. I to. agree. Uh, Michelle Pereja defeated Zalim Imadia via rear naked choke in the third round, 439 of it. Uh, bad call by the ref. There was no tap. But I'm not screaming about it because Pereja was dominating this fight anyway. Um, Imadiyev came into the UFC undefeated. <sighs> Might have been too early for him to get in there. He's gone 0-3 now, and only one of those was a somewhat compelling fight. So, uh, you know, Pereja gave... Probably the best performance of his career here. He still showed enough of the personality to keep the donks happy, as someone might say. But he didn't do any of the really stupid stuff that, you know, he's not going to do it. He didn't do a gymnastics floor routine en route to missing some kind of bizarre stomp attempt. So if he's kind of got all that stuff ironed out, the man has a lot of physical gifts. It's just always been kind of a question of, how much of his gimmickry is going to interfere with that? And if he's found that happy medium, he's a handful. He's a big guy for that weight class, too. 
Uh, Andre Muniz hit a really sweet armbar on boat on Bartos Fabinski, 242 over the first round. This was a really sweet finish, actually. Muniz threatens with a triangle. When Fabinski looks to circle out of it, he exposes the arm. Uh, if you want an example of why people, if you've put it this way, if you've never trained and you've only ever heard people say, don't keep your arms on the mat when they're grappling, and you want to know why, this is kind of why. That arm was so deep. Uh, Muniz wasn't even like holding the wrist to extend the armbar like you normally do. It was trapped deep in his armpit. Like there was no chance at all of Fabinski even attempting to escape out of that. Once those hips turned over, he was done. He knew it. He tapped immediately. Really sweet armbar. Brian Kelleher hit a really nice guillotine uh, 39 seconds into the first round to submit Ray Rodriguez. Kelleher has a really nice guillotine. I mean, he tapped Yuri Alcantara with it. And Alcantara is legit. Uh, Kelleher joins a handful of other people as someone who has got three wins in the year of 2020. He's three and one. I think he lost the Saman fight, but or not Saman, excuse me, Stamen. Uh, Kelleher's been doing pretty well for himself this year, actually. He's maximized the opportunities. Uh, this was also at featherweight. I mean, the man's a bantamweight, but he can't do it on short notice, so he's been taking featherweight fights. Uh, Viviani Araujo defeated Montana De La Rosa via unanimous decision. Two 30-27s, one 29-28. Uh, Jack Slack said something uh, on one of his Fights Gone By podcasts a couple of months ago that I think is very, a very true observation about striking in women's MMA. It feels like someone hitting pads. It doesn't build to anything. It doesn't. It's clash, throw your combination, reset to the distance you would when you're working with someone holding pads for you. Repeat ad nauseum. There's very few female fighters who build their, who build over a fight, who build a combination, who establish something and use it to set something else up. Now, the ones who do are incredibly successful. You're... Amanda Nunes's, your Valentina Shevchenko's, your Ioana's, your Nama Yunus's, they build their striking arsenal over time. They don't just clash, reset, clash, reset. But it's a skill that's sorely lacking in MMA for on the women's side at the moment. And this was just another example of that. Uh, Araujo had a very good, had a strong jab. She kept leaning every time she threw it. And there's a real, there's opportunities to counter that when you do it every time. But Montana De La Rosa, not exactly a striking savant. Uh, not a great fight. It existed. And kicking everything off, Hunter Azure defeated Cole Smith, the unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. Uh, wrestling stuff from Hunter Azure. Cole Smith never was able to kind of punish him for it. Fight existed. I don't remember a whole lot about it. Okay, Jeff. Again, there's some hidden gems in there, but anything strike your fancy? What do you want to touch on? I mean, I guess good on Michelle Pejea for not totally embarrassing himself for once. So there's that, but I don't know if he's going to do that against tougher opposition. Um, Brian Kelleher looked good coming, you know, coming back, uh, had a good performance. That's about it for me. Alrighty. Thanks to the few of you who've read my report for that. I know it took place uh, the same time as an AEW pay-per-view, and I am not under any illusion about what draws on 411. It is professional wrestling first, foremost, last, and always. 
but I do appreciate you guys stopping by after the fact to say that you read it, to you know, catch up on the event. I just appreciate you guys supporting my work, such as it is. Okay. This coming Friday, Saturday, sorry, we have UFC on ESPN plus 35. This was supposed to be headlined by Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira. However, uh, Glover tested positive for COVID. So those two have been shuffled to the October 3rd card. And it's a little bit unclear what your main event is going to be there. Um, What was penciled in as the main event was the fight between Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. I think there's a real chance they might bump that down in favor of Santos versus Teixeira because that's a fight that just means a lot more. Do they have any other fights besides the two I'm seeing on Wikipedia? Yeah, they're scroll down. They're under the announced bouts. We just don't have a bout order for them. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, so your new main All event. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's one of those cards. Uh, your new main event will be five rounds. Uh, Michelle Waterson and Angela Hill. Wow. Look, I don't want to. St- I feel really bad for Angela Hill. There's not a nice way to say this, so if this offends anyone, that's on you. If you're main eventing an event with these two, uh, you might be running too many events. This is... It's not that Michelle Waterson has never main evented a UFC event before. She has. She has. But... Good fighter. Yeah, she's not the worst. She has some. She has a handful of really annoying habits that I can't yeah. unsee now that I've seen them. The woman will throw, you know, 80 kicks around that all hit the invisible woman about eight inches in front of her opponent. Yeah. Uh, I know Michelle has the reputation for her striking, but that's not where I think her best work is. I think she does her best work on the ground. She's one of the few women who will actually wrestle, not just go for upper body throws. She's got good back-taking skills. I think that's where she does more of her better work. But, you know, once you have a... It is very difficult to shake a first impression, and Watterson's reputation is that of a striker more than anything else. Uh, We have Angela Hill, who's had a bit of a career renaissance lately. She's coming off of a loss to Claudia Gadelia. I know she threw a fit about it, but I did score that for Claudia. But she had a three-fight winning streak going before that. Uh, I just don't care at all about this fight. And I don't think it will make for an especially compelling matchup. Neither of these women have been in a fight that I was, you know, really interested in in a long time. Uh, For Watterson... uh, I mean, she had the Ioana fight. I wasn't interested in that. I think maybe her fight with Rose was probably the last time I was kind of interested because the winner of that was going to get a title shot. And that, of course, did go to Rose. But, yeah, that's that's been a while. Uh, and Angela Hill, she had a good run in Invicta, but since returning to the UFC, she's been just really hot and cold. I just She had a three-fight winning streak against some lesser opposition and then... Lost a split decision to Claudia Gadelia. Um, And people, and I I guess people like her. She has a very nice personality. 
He's a nice lady. Yeah, I mean, this is not a reflection on any of them, on either of them as people. I don't know enough I'd about either of them. I find if she became like a broadcaster or not, but I mean, look, her record is twelve and eight. I yeah, I again, I don't really care about this fight. Both either women, either of these women could win it. They're fairly closely matched. Hill's much taller and longer. I mean, Waterson. They obviously is, want Waterson to win this fight. I don't think they care that much about the outcome of this fight. Well, you can do something with either woman if they win, but also you give you give Waterson an opportunity to beat a much lesser skilled but known opponent with a name. Is basically what I see here. That might be what they're trying for, but Waterson's pretty definitively out of the title picture at this point. Uh, she's on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah. Those losses are to former champions, Robert. Yeah, but one of those former champions is Carla Esparza. So, Carla Esparza has been doing very good lately, and she Carla might... Carla Esparza has been eking out split decisions for two and a half years. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. You know, she has four fights... She has four wins in a row and could be fighting for the title again sooner or sure, later. Sure, let's, let's give her a rematch with Joanna. <laughs> Let's see how that Ioana's goes. Joanna's not the champion. No, but sure. Let's do a rematch with Joanna. Winner gets a title shot. I think Joanna is. She's fighting uh, Weilei Zhang next. Is she no. not? They already had that fight. Oh, that's right. I mean, that was arguably fight of the year. The Zhang. I'm sorry. This pandemic has gotten to my head. No, none everything, of us have... is, everything is a blur to me right now. Does Zhang Weilei have a fight lined up next? Does I don't ever... think so. Well, here's uh, my point. Her I next think... fight might be against Carla Esparza. That's my her... point, Robert. I think her. I think they were talking about her and Nami Yunus next, after Nami Yunus got by Andrade. Okay, I think you're right. Um, not that I think. <laughs> uh, not that I like Esparza's chances against Zhang at all either. By the way. What about Claudia? What about Esparza versus Gadelia? Uh, they've already fought, and Gedalia just um, – she had a fight scheduled. That was a split decision, so they could have a rematch. They could, but Gedalia, uh just had a fight pulled. Yeah. I think she got injured. Uh, Jessica so Andrade yeah. is moving up to flyweight. <sighs> anyway, I'm picking Watterson for this fight is my – Brain damage, my brain damage prediction. I and my COVID brain damage, my pandemic. I'm sorry, my pandemic brain damage. And eh, don't worry about it. Um, I suppose if I lean one way or the other, it might be a slight lean towards Waterson, but I again, I don't care about this fight at all. So Gadelia was supposed to fight Yan. Ja, I'm sorry if I mispronounced Xiaonan. Oh yeah, she was uh, fighting Yan Xiaonan. Um. Yeah, that got pulled. Something happened with Gedalia. So Gedalia has a knee injury, so we don't know what they might if they'll reschedule that or not. But yeah, I'm picking. Uh, well, I'm gonna go at Waterson. I just don't. I don't see what threat Angela Hill presents in any area to to Waterson as long as Waterson is prepared and doesn't fall into any stupid habits. Some of that depends on the range. If they get into the clinch, uh, Hill has some nasty knees and elbows. 
on the ground, it's entirely based on who's on top position. If they get static, uh, whoever's on top is going to be winning. Hill is at, not a good grappler. She doesn't have good takedown defense. At range, I do kind of favor Hill. Again, Watterson striking at distance is not great. Oh, I think we have a rolling blackout here. Yep. The power almost went out. You want to know why? <laughs> it's 150 de- degrees here. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> We're baking out here, Robert. It's it's <laughs> so the power didn't go out completely. But if you if uh, we get disconnected or the power goes out, I, I'm very sorry both to Robert and the listeners. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> OK, um, we don't have a confirmed bout order for the rest of this card yet. So I'm going by the listing on topology and we're just going to go with that. Uh, next up, again, according to this, we have a fight between uh, Andrea Lee and Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, I kind of thought Andrea Lee won her last fight. Uh, that said, the judges disagreed. What was that? Oh, the Murphy fight. Yeah, I scored that for her. I think I Roxanne Modafferi is still fighting in the UFC. It's women's flyweight. They, it's not a good division. I mean, in fairness to Roxy, she's also... Not hit a losing streak this time. <laughs> and, I mean, sure, the UFC is still annoyed with her for smashing Macy Barber the way she did, but... Uh, uh, I'm going to pick Andrea Lee here. I'm, I'm waiting for Lee to finally start putting everything together because she has a fair amount of talent in the, you know, across the various disciplines, but she's she's struggled to really... Again, really put everything together consistently. And Robert, there's a flyweight fight on this card. There's an actual flyweight fight. Yeah, there is. I feel like we found an MMA unicorn. You're not lying. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going with Andrea Lee there, but we can probably just do quick for the rest of this now that I'm looking at it. Jeez. Okay, I'm going to go through these, and then we'll just talk about whatever strikes your fancy afterwards, if my dogs can shut up in the background there. Um, Alain Patrick will fight Bobby Green. That's not a terrible fight, believe it or not. Um, That's a great fight, actually. Patrick's been on the shelf for about a, for almost two years, uh, when he was finished by Scott Holtzman. He's uh, finally kind of like turning things around. Yeah, he does seem to finally kind of have found his stride. I'm going to pick Green there. But it's nice to see Patrick back. There was a period of time when he was a legit up-and-comer and then losses an injury, and now he's uh, what could have been. There's a light heavyweight fight, God help us, between Ed Herman and Mike Rodriguez. Um, Rodriguez... Okay, yeah, he beat... Uh, he knocked out Procneo. And Ed Herman is Ed Herman. Um, yeah, who could possibly care about that fight? I'll pick Rodriguez because I don't pick Ed Herman at this point. I will not pick Ed Herman in 2020. I just won't do it. I was watching his season of The Ultimate Fighter. <laughs> I'm not going to pick that man, you know, a decade on from that. Uh the aforementioned fight between Julia Avila and Sajara Eubanks. Um, that could be a rough fight for Avila. 
I mean, Eubanks has a, you know, a record of like five and four, but she's not an easy out. And Avila, she only got two fights in the UFC. Still pick Avila, but uh, that one could look Jari Eubanks, who is five and four, was once scheduled to fight for a UFC title. Yeah, she was going to get smashed by Valentina Shevchenko. It's an embryonic. UFC, the UFC did her a favor. Well, she's the one who caused that to fall apart. Yeah. Well. With her constant weight issues. Uh, we have they a fly. Still kept, they still could have rescheduled and kept the fight alive. So. They could have tried. That's true. Uh, a flyweight fight, an honest to god flyweight fight on a main card, presumably, between Matt Schnell and Tyson Nam. Uh, Nam finally got to the UFC earlier this year, uh, and so he's been in the UFC for a, a while. He got back here. He got here in 19, and dropped a couple of tough fights right off the bat to Sergio Pettis and Kai Carter France. Then finally fought a guy on short notice and knocked him out uh, in June. He's fighting Matt Schnell, who is a Fairly tough out. Schnell was stopped by Alessandre Pantoja in his last fight, which broke a four-fight winning streak. That includes finishes over Louis Smolka and Jordan Espinosa. Um, I kind of like Schnell here. Schnell's fairly underappreciated, but Nam is a dude's a veteran. He's been around for a while. He's not an easy out. Uh, we have some pretty much guaranteed insanity between Frank Camacho and Brock Weaver. Uh, Weaver, I believe, coming off of his first UFC win, which he got via disqualification. Uh, nope, sorry, he fought Roberts after that and got choked out. <laughs> yeah, his UFC debut, he won via disqualification. Uh, Camacho, always good for a brawl. Uh, coming off of back-to-back losses uh, to Benil Dariush and then to Justin Janes. The James one, James came out and blitzed him. I don't, I don't feel too much hesitation picking uh, Frank Camacho here. Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo will fight Kyle Nelson. Um, Quarantillo has been uh, kind of a story in 2020. He debuted in the UFC in December of last year. Had a good win over Spike Carlisle. Might be confusing Quarantillo with somebody else now that I think about it. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I am. Oh, well, the other guy will come up again and I'll remember properly. Uh, I'm pretty okay picking Quarantillo here. Nelson, uh, he's gone one and two in the UFC. Losses to Carlos Diego Ferreira and then Matt Sales. He beat Polo Reyes, but beating Polo Reyes in 20, that was in 19, about a year ago, actually. He's been out for a while. Yeah, I, I'll pick Quarantillo there. Brian Barbarina will fight Anthony Ivey. Seems like I should pick Barbarina. Uh, I mean, Barbarina's on a rough stretch. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He was finished in both of those when he fought Vicente Luque and Randy Brown. Both uh, That fight with Luque, man, in 19 was a wild, wild fight. Uh, Ivey, by contrast, I think this is his debut. Nope, he debuted... Uh, a couple of months ago and was stopped by Christian Aguilera. I vaguely recall that fight. 
I'll pick Barbarina here. Um, Roosevelt Roberts and Matt Frivola. That's a surprisingly good fight. I know Roberts has hit a bit of a skid lately, and there's a very real argument that he was brought into the UFC too soon. Because uh, he came in at just uh, 6-0. and And he's gone 4-2 and in the UFC. He's coming off of a loss to Jim Miller, though. And much as I love Jim Miller, losing to Jim Miller in 2020 does not fill me with uh, confidence about his immediate future. Uh, Frivola's been up and... He's, he's been weird. He's been up and down in the UFC, but... He's won his last two against Jalen Turner and then Luis Pena. Um, I'll go with Roberts here, but Frivola's not an easy out. Um, Sabina Mazo will fight Justine Kish. Mazo, I think got her. Yeah, she's, she beat J.J. Aldridge her last time out via split decision. Beat Shauna Dobson before that. Uh, whereas Kish is 7-2. and Yeah. She's three and two in the UFC overall. I'll go with Mazo there. Kish is a fairly meat and potatoes kind of fighter. And again, the rebooked fight between Kama Worthy and Otman Isatar, which is a sneaky fight that if you haven't seen both guys fight, you may not think about too much. But Isatar is undefeated and scored a wicked knockout over uh, Timu Pakalin in his UFC debut. Worthy 2-0 in the UFC, and he knocked out Louis, uh, excuse me, Devontae Smith in the first round and then submitted Luis Pena with a guillotine choke uh, against a few months ago in June. Uh, Worthy's actually on an overall like seven-fight winning streak. Um, good fight there. Uh, I was sad to see it move moved off of the previous card. I was looking forward to it. I'm going to lean towards Worthy, but... Expect some fireworks there. Those two both come to fight. Okay, Jeff, what sticks out to you from that group of fights? Uh, names, uh, matchups in particular, anything? The best fight on that card is uh, Patrick uh, versus Bobby Green. That could easily be like a co-main event on this card. Probably should be. Yeah, I, I, we do not have a finalized bout order yet. It might wind up being that. Um. Both those guys are good fighters, tough opponents. Uh, don't get tired. Uh, I'm looking forward to that fight, and uh, happy to see Patrick has not fought fought in a while, so I'm glad to see about that. yeah, just about two years, almost just under two years. So that's about it. Alrighty, I will have coverage of that this coming Saturday again in the MMA Zone of Four One One Mania. So. Best of luck to you, my man. Godspeed. Well. There's no chance that this card as it currently looks is what we get on Saturday. <laughs> no chance at all. I mean, I mean, especially if there was some sort of outbreak at the PI that we don't know about yet, because like there could be more people dropping off, you know, I I fully expect at least two of those fights to just completely fall apart over the next six days. This is this is this is life in the covid era, this never ending pandemic. Sadly. Yeah, it's not it's not never ending. It just feels <laughs> that way. It just feels that way because we're also it feels caught in that the time way warp. Now. It feels that way now, Robert. It only feels that way because of the time loop we're caught in. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I 
I don't see it anymore. <laughs> it's hard for me to see the. I'll feel better once we're finally on the other side of this, but I don't once, feel. Now. Once January rolls around and the seasonal uh, depression can set in. I don't know if I'm going to feel better in January. You know, I don't know if the the changing of the calendar is going to make me feel better about this, but well, you know, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Well, there's only a finite number of ways it can get worse. <laughs> I mean, it can definitely get worse. I didn't say it couldn't. I said we're at a point where there's a finite number of ways it can get worse. I mean, I will say, though, I did get, <laughs> I did get a haircut the other. I finally was able to get my first haircut in months a couple days ago, and that was like a luxury. Getting a haircut with a mask on. I am perpetually grateful I live where I do when I hear some of the horror stories that come out of other states. Yeah. Because I'm in L.A. and we're still at threat level purple, which is high risk, (laughs) the highest level. Yeah, Yeah, I I know you and you again, you're in L.A. I have a couple of other friends out there. Uh, One of them is getting one of the we're not in one of the lower levels. Uh, One of whom is getting married, actually, this uh, very soon. So on the off chance you're listening. Yeah, I understand. You know, you know, you know, you want to delay things. But at some point, like, you know, we're still in this. You kind of just got to work. You got to work with it or around it at this point. It's just how it is. Yeah, I again, I'm grateful to live in a state that has had very low level. I think we've handled it fairly well. I I think we've had very low outbreaks. We've got one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country at the moment. We have – might be the lowest rate What of state death. are you in? I live in Utah. What is it about Utah that you think you're handling it better than elsewhere? I, I think we benefit from a handful of things. One is – Is it a more rural population, yeah. you think? One, yeah, one is the more rural population. This thing, like any outbreak, the more centralized and localized your population, the worse it is. There's also not a lot of uh, tourism and travel through here, so there's a lot lower rates of that. Yeah. Uh, we also did a pretty good job about just, you know, sort of general personal responsibility. Uh, yeah, fair play. So this is why you were able to go to the movie theater and watch New Mutants, right? Our theaters have been open for a while. Yeah, so you, so that's so you, that's how you're still able to go to the theaters and review movies. Yeah. Um, have you, so that means you could walk into a theater and see Tenet right now, correct? I will be seeing that before we review it on Wednesday. All right. I plan on seeing it Tuesday is kind of my current plan. Yeah, I spent my... Uh, because theater, some of the theaters here stayed open, but no movies were being released. I got mm-hmm. to go enjoy old classics on the big screen. I watched the Indiana Jones trilogy again. I watched Jaws. Uh, one well, of my how, bro- do they, how do they how do they do that? Like, are are do they use old prints or old projectors? Like, what's the process? Most of those have been digitized. So they show a digit are are the digitized prints in good quality? Yeah. Okay. Everything looks fine. So yeah, basically with projectors now, they're basically they're basically compute they're basically like computer files now, right? A lot instead of them, yeah. Of, instead of old film projectors. Yeah. Because so, yeah, when I, I worked I, at a movie theater, like they actually showed me a process. Like they were still it seems archaic now, but 
you had to like thread it. It was only yeah, it was only ten years ago when you were loading those things manually. You had to manually you had to manually put uh, the the all the film reels together and then uh, load them in and and it, it was a painstaking process. Pay attention to when one reel is going to run out, when it needs to when you need yep. to get the next reel up and running. Yeah. And that would also, but yeah, interesting. So yeah, I got to see you know I, I'd seen Raiders on the big screen before, but I hadn't seen Last Crusade or Temple of Doom. So I got to see I that. I want to see what a digitized, like, theatrical print of Raiders would look like. Looks very much like a DVD release. Just, you know, properly sized and blown up because... Well, that's that's what I mean, you know? Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, th- that movie, this is not a concept that a lot of contemporary theatergoers have, especially if you're much younger. Movies used to be shot for the big screen. So there's yeah. stuff you lose when you only see it on small screen. And... You know, I mean, Jaws on the big screen completely comes to life, especially that last act. Mm-hmm. It is so different watching that shark when it's the See, size of See, I would like to do that because I've never seen – like I've seen the Indiana Jones films on the big screen but not Jaws. Yeah, I've I, – I got to play around with a lot of those. There's theaters that are still doing that here, so I might – you know, they kind of rotate a little bit. I seriously debated going to see Interstellar again on the big screen because I love that movie. Uh, Ghostbusters uh, uh, came back through here. Uh, the third Back to the Future uh, was yep. on was on theaters here, so yeah, I've yeah, our theaters have been open for a while. I've been interesting. I've been able to go to those. You know, they're they only seat you every other row, and they make sure there's enough seat spaces between people's. But yeah, they've been open. So what is the the Brock Lesnar business you wanted to? Well, let's hang on. Let's start with. Want to start with Brock? Yeah, yeah, let's start with that. Let's start with Brock. Brock's a, Brock's the draw, right? People care yeah. about Brock. <laughs> uh, let me reset this real fast on my notes. Okay. Uh, yeah, Brock Lesnar has entered free agency. He exited the WWE, uh, at least their exclusive negotiation period with him earlier this week, and this inevitably leads to the speculation. No, no, it wasn't earlier this week. It was in April. After WrestleMania, it okay, was so, not publicly known until this week. Okay, then yeah, the news will have been broken about Brock finally about that. We might finally have that. There's no way his exclusive exclusivity period lasted that long, but okay. Anyway, we that news kind of has now been making the rounds, which leads to speculation about well, what's next for Brock Lesnar? Uh, invariably, you know. Will he will he and WWE come back to terms on something? Are both parties interested in that? Will AEW make a play? I uh, the hilarity of Brock Lesnar existing in the same ring as the Young Bucks would just make like he would kill them, <laughs> and I would laugh. Uh, will he move to Bellator? Will he go back to the UFC? You know what what's kind of the immediate play here for him? Dana White told UFC that if both men wanted the fight, he would book. John Jones versus Brock Lesnar because John Jones went on Twitter on August 31st and said, Brock, I'll beat your ass too. And, you know, it that fight makes a stupid amount of sense, and I hate saying that, but it makes a lot of money, first and foremost. It lets John test out what he feels like competing at heavyweight. It gives him an imminently winnable fight. At the same time, if Brock wins, 
you know, that's a, that would immediately, you know, put Brock back into the title picture. He'd be the first guy to legitimately beat arguably the greatest of all time. I, I don't like his chances to do that, but I'd be a fool to pretend that he, that it's a, an impossibility. I, I don't know that that's where Brock will land, but uh, what do you think? If you had to make a prediction for whatever it's worth. What, He's going is, back to WWE. Here's why. All right. He's 43 years old. Secondly, he hasn't uh, re-entered the USADA testing pool. If he were to fight again in MMA or UFC, he would have to re-enter the USADA testing pool. And there's like a whole... Well, he wouldn't get. He wouldn't be able to pass the loophole. He wouldn't be able to get through the loopholes this time because it would be too controversial. Yeah, they could still do it, especially if he. I'll say this, especially if it's a short notice thing, the UFC would absolutely just wave it and everyone would go along with it. It's not going to happen, according to now. Look, it is Dave Meltzer, but according to Dave Meltzer, he has not re-entered the USADA testing pool. Well, the USADA testing pool is public knowledge. Right. Uh, so we know he's not in the testing pool. For some reason, right. CM Punk still is. Well, I think CM Punk is deep down holding out hope that he can fight again at some point, even though it's ridiculous. But whatever. Um, he's 43. I don't think he's going to put himself in a position where he can get embarrassed or anything. Because if he does want to go back to WWE or whatever he wants to do next, it... Uh, I don't think he wants to to hurt himself that way. Now I'm very curious. How is his MMA contract set up where he cannot fight anywhere except the UFC? If he I don't just in case. Know. <laughs> I've heard things about that that he can only fight in the UFC. Like Some of that life, basically. <sighs> Even though that's probably unreasonable. It, there's no his, way that would hold up it to if Brock challenged that legally, there's no way that would hold up. Right. Um what probably happened was Brock retired after his last fight. But when you retire, you do still retire under UFC contract. Uh, right. There are protections in place for the UFC in that case. And lest anyone think that uh, I, and for, let me put it like this. That is fair for the promotion to have certain safeguards in place in that case. What you don't want is a circumstance where you sign a fighter fighter wins retires voiding their contract and then immediately sign somewhere else for more for more money retiring only in the only to break the contract so there are there are protections in place for the ufc in that case whether or not those are what the time limit is on those i don't know it's entirely possible that brock's non-complete after non-complete uh, compete excuse me after retirement ex expired you know two years after his his announcement of retirement in which case he might be free to pursue an option from Bellator and Scott Coker finally being the one to put on Fedor versus Brock in 2020 would be another extremely it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't find it likely, but I'm here's, here's what else. AEW is not going to like, if you're Tony Khan, I know this is wrestling, but to me, it makes no sense to, to bring in Brock Lesnar at this point. He's, because he's 43, he's not a thoroughbred, he's only going to be a special attraction. So you're, it's not even like you're getting Hulk Hogan in WCW in 1994 to be the face of your company. 
Well, Hogan could so, still work a full schedule in 94. Exactly. So is there really that much value if you're AEW and you know you're and you're AE and AEW is doing fairly well on their own right now? Um against that, NXT. that last pay-per-view notwithstanding. Yeesh. Put, yeah. That's a whole other that's a whole other subject. This I don't want to get too much in the weeds about wrestling here. It just doesn't make I don't I just don't see much value if I'm Tony Khan like in trying to get Brock Lesnar. I would get I would now sure would I give Brock Lesnar an offer, but I would not pay Brock Lesnar stupid F you money just to get Brock Lesnar away from WWE. It's not worth it. Cause I, I think you give him an offer. Sure. But give him a, a real offer, not stupid F you money offer, you know? Yeah. I, I don't, I kind of agree with you in the sense that while Brock's name brings value, that is certainly true. Yes. There's a real question about, you know, how much value does he bring? What does he add to the company? And he brings more. He would bring more value to UFC, certainly, but he doesn't bring value to even WWE anymore, does he? No one brings value to WWE. I mean, like they've had WWE has had Brock for the last eight years and their ratings have dropped what in half, basically. I don't pay attention enough to the ratings to comment on that. When Brock came in their rate, they were doing like, still like about 4 million viewers a week on raw. Now they're doing, now they're struggling to break 2 million a week, Robert. And they've Uh, had, and through large squats of that, they've had Lesnar as champion as a part-time champion. So excuse me if I don't see the value in like as in Brock as a pro wrestler right now, even as a special attraction. I think Brock as an attraction does bring value. I think there's no one in the WWE that can succeed given the way that company is set up at the moment. I think I think I think at this point you've exhausted Brock Lesnar's value in WWE. There's a that's probably fair. I don't know what else you can do with him. I think he would only fight John Jones for stupid FU money. Now well, look. The UFC now, might give it to him because it would jo- it would make them stupid fu money probably. That's the thing with ESPN and Disney. You know oh, now calling is... some of the shots. I could see that happening because look because that does open Dana... up an, it does open up a different can of worms though because the pay per view model has changed so drastically. Are you, you going to tell me that ESPN did not have any influence at all? And making that deal for uh, t- uh, for um, Kamaru Usman versus George Masvidal, that had to have played a role. Come on. I look. I'm glad everyone got paid when it came to that. I don't know where all the. I don't know who whose purses were lightened by it. In ter- from you know from whether it was so, straight up the UFC, whether it was ESPN agreeing but, to but eat part was, of it. Do you like Dana White had an open feud with George Masvidal before they made that deal? Come on. A little bit, yeah. There there was some active and, negotiation. And Dana White dug and what did he do? He dug his heels in. I'm giving the title shot to Gilbert Burns. He walked away from the negotiating table and he was forced to walk back once they lost uh Gilbert Burns. Yeah. Uh, look, Masvidal got into a point when suddenly he had leverage instead of no leverage. 
And, and I think all, I think all I think all UFC got out of that deal is they had to is they were able to get a lot more fights out of Masvidal. Oh no! Mas- Did you not see how successful that event was? I I'm aware. What I That's mean the, that is the most success that is the most purchased pay per view since they moved to ESPN. That's not my, po- my my point, Robert. Is what they they gave Masvidal most of what he wanted, which they were unwilling to do beforehand. They gave him they gave him almost everything he wanted. Apparently, it's a leverage world. He didn't so, have leverage, then he did. Well, so I guess my point is here. I could because my my theory. This is my my hypothesis is is that ESPN's influence played a role in making in having Dana White forcing Dana White to make that deal to put that fight together. And I would feel ESPN Disney's influence would play a role. Like you got to get Brock Lesnar and maybe try to get this fight. And UFC would offer Lesnar stupid F you money to try and make this fight happen. And Dana White's already admitted he's open to it. So, well, it's, I could, I I could see, I could see the scenario happening, but I don't think it will. I think the uh, if you're going to make that fight, the time is, in fact, now to do it because John's if John is serious about moving up to heavyweight, and indicators are that he is, so assuming that's true. John apparently wants a fight. He's apparently back. He's apparently back at the negotiating table with UFC. Yes, now is the time. And Lesnar is 43. That's the other thing. Look, Lesnar's 43. John's not exactly a spring chicken. You know, John's been fighting in the UFC for, God, what, over 10 years at this point? And he's been sandblasting cocaine off of hookers. Eh. According to Daniel Cormier. His words, not mine. Yeah, I'm, there's, a finite am- there's a finite amount of uh, how much I'm going to take Daniel Cormier's word for that. <laughs> All right. Especially considering what a shill for the yeah, UFC yeah, it would is. Be, look, that would be the biggest heavyweight fight you could book right now for John Jones, other than him fighting Stipe Miocic for the title. Yeah. I think commercially it would probably even be bigger. Just a rough yeah. guess on my part. Yeah. There'd be intrigue because, you know, because John is moving up to a new weight class. You know, he's never fought at heavyweight. So there is a, there's always going to be questions there, even if Lesnar is 43 and technically hasn't won a fight in 10 years. Oh, probably something like that. Because the Mark Hunt fight was overturned. Yeah, I mean, look, we all know he beat Mark Hunt, but yeah, the uh, that was overturned. And and there's also a chance if he were to sign a new deal with UFC, he could still fight. Uh, excuse me. If he signed a new deal with WWE, there's a chance he could still fight in the UFC because WWE has let him do it before. Yeah, they have. So uh, the Brock Watch 2020 is on as far as that goes. Uh, uh, my, my gut instinct tends to kind of think that I, th- I think you're right. I think he'll wind up just back in WWE and uh, nothing really changes for any and all parties as far as that goes. But I think he would. I think he would only talk to AEW to increase his value with Vince. 
Yeah, unless unless Tony Khan's willing to pay him a lot of money, and I don't think and I don't think he is, and I it's not clear to me that he should, even if he were willing. Because he's not a long term investment. I'm sorry. No, he'd be a he he would be a short term investment to try and boost visibility and then try and get some of the notoriety he brings like, to stick to the rest of your let, let's put him in a like let's put him like we'll put him on pay per view against Mike Tyson or something. And maybe we'll get like 500,000 buys, something like that, for a, freak, a special attraction, a, a sideshow, a freak show, whatever. Uh, yeah, so we'll, of course, be keeping an eye on what Brock does because that's kind of what you do at this point. You pay attention to news about Brock uh, intermittently uh, until such time as he decides to you know, more permanently retire. Um, okay, let's... We have some miscellaneous fight announcements that I think we're going to go through here. So let's go through these fairly quickly. Um, the UFC has announced uh, Kamzat Shemaev will fight Gerald Mershart on September 19th. Apparently, the UFC is also looking at booking Shemaev against uh, Damian Maya at some point in October once they return to Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. Uh those are stiff tests for Shamayev. I know he kind of burst onto the scene, won, you know, two fights in like nine days or something like that. But uh, he didn't beat. It's not that he didn't win him. I mean, he got hit like twice over the course of two fights that he and he blew the other guys out of the water. Both Mirshart and Maya, um, assuming that that's correct. I mean, I, there's still some uns- uncertainty around Maya's future. But both of those would be significant steps up for him and will tell us a fair bit. And it's entirely possible he exits the Mershart fight not able to fight again in October, but you know, we'll never know. For, we'll know once the fight happens. Uh, same kind of vein, we have a the UFC announced that Leon Edwards finally has another fight. He will be fighting Stephen Thompson. That will be a main event for an event in November. Uh you know, you've got to get Leon Edwards a fight at some point. The man's a one of the best welterweights in the world, and I get that no one cares about him, and I get why no one cares about him. But you know, you are there is still a degree of meritocracy that goes on in the UFC, and the guys won like eight or nine fights in a row. That has to be rewarded at some point. Uh, I kind of lean towards Thompson, just how these two match up stylistically, but. It's a very relevant fight for that division. If Edwards wins, I think he should get a title shot off of that win. Uh, Thompson, not quite so much. I, Given his layoffs and whatnot, I don't think that would be enough to get him a title shot off the back of that. But if he wants another crack at the belt, beating Leon Edwards would be a big step in that direction. Um, I don't think we're going to care about that because... Uh, kind of a non-story. Um, okay, the other bit of matchmaking news, and where I think we're gonna. This is the last thing I have. The UFC is actively working on a rematch between Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz. Jeff, I can't imagine anyone caring about that fight, but I know people do. Because it's already a few. I, I don't know. I mean, humanity is a mystery to me. They don't make sense. I people people felt like they were robbed in the first fight. For some reason, uh, I mean, I get that no one likes to see a fight stop due to cuts, 
But I Mas- mean, Masvidal was lighting Diaz up. He was beating him up in 10-8 rounds. Uh, at least one 10-8 by my scorecard, yeah. Uh, let's see. Ariel Helwani reported Masvidal versus Diaz, too, has been offered and is being discussed, but it wouldn't be for the same night as Usman versus Burns, as TMZ reported. It would be for January. Um, I mean, it would be a commercial no success. Would, no ch- uh, he also said no chance those two would agree to be a co-main event. You oh, could no do way. it. There's I, no way those two would be should be co-main. Why not? That- that is the attraction fight. If those two have okay. a rematch, that's what everyone's paying to see. Okay, they should, so they should be the main event. Here's the other thing: Usman Burns is supposed to happen December twelfth. Yep. Um, same night as uh, so that will be along with Nunez versus Megan Anderson for the title. So the plan is Masvidal versus Diaz two in January. Now the here's my thought. I would do Diaz versus McGregor three. Yeah, but, that's a fight that but, should probably be explored. They're having an issue, it seems, with McGregor, who apparently hasn't been tested in a while, even though I guess he's still in the USADA pool and retired. Uh, yeah, everyone seems to be – a lot of the UFC's plans seem to be working on the assumption that McGregor is, in fact, retired, as he claims. He uh, hasn't been te- – he's in the pool, but he hasn't been tested in a while from what I hear. Eh, like some of that some of that might – well, he's also not scheduled, and I know being scheduled for a fight right. gives you a couple of mandatory tests. But you know, this is how – the other thing that people don't understand about right. randomness, this is how randomness works. If it is just random right. testing, his name might his name might not come up in the random number generator. Okay. So they see UFC also seems adamant that they don't want to book McGregor without a live gate is the other impression I've been given. Well, they would be losing a lot of money if they did. That's true. So I don't like the Masvidal Diaz two fight, but apparent like and look, the fight's not official yet, so it could it could always fall through. But whatever. I mean, I'm with you. I don't care about... I was loosely interested in their first fight um, because I thought it would meet, it would lead to a good, entertaining fight. It did. Mm-hmm. I don't need a rematch. That wasn't a terribly competitive fight. But maybe they want to rehab... Like, they want to rehab Masvidal after the loss to Usman, basically. Which, which this would do. I mean, this would be a very big event if he... If, you know, Masvidal goes out and wins... Uh, I shouldn't say more convincingly. I mean, if you're paying Masvidal that much money, you have to, you know, you have to justify it. Yeah. Like you can't, he's not going to be, you can't give him softball. You can't give him a softball get well fight. You know, he's not going to fight Tyron Woodley. You know, he's not going to, he's going to be fighting in fights that are designed to maximize earning potential all the way around. And, And that means giving him a, giving him a fight he's more likely to win, which I would assume would be Diaz is an easier, arguably, arguably an easier fight for him than Woodley. um, Woodley's a bad matchup for him. 
Eh, uh, not I, this version of Woodley. Maybe. Woodley, maybe. you know, Woodley four years ago, yeah. Woodley four years okay. ago, I think that's a tough match up for him. Woodley in 2020, I mean, come on. Uh, I, I, and, and, and like, and, and, and come on now, Usman's not going to, Usman's going to say no to a potential rematch with Masvidal. Come on. Oh, he, Usman will accept that rematch if it's off, if, and when it's offered to him, because he yeah. made so much money on that first one. Usman, I, I feel like Usman is a smarter fighter than Tyron Woodley, you know? Well, Usman might, I don't know that he's a smarter fighter. He's a smarter businessman, I think. He, that's what I mean. He's he was smart at, like because he would have been well within his rights to turn that fight down against yeah. Masvidal. He absolutely could have. But I feel like he realized from a business standpoint, he is a better like this. This was a stylistically a good matchup for him. Plus, he's fighting Masvidal on short notice while he was the one who was training for a fight that whole time. So, yeah. And yes, I am picking Usman over Burns, for that matter. I Even lean- though Burns, Burns, is a, Burns has earned that Burns has earned that shot, and Burns is a tough opponent. I, lean, toward, I yeah. lean towards Usman over Burns, but I take Burns' chances in that fight very seriously. I agree. I agree. Burns has unquestionably earned that shot. So, I mean, I'm, not a fa- I'm not a fan of the rematch, though. I don't think we need it. Uh, Burn, uh, Burns has earned that shot, and he Burns can fight in the clinch, which is kind of where Usman has been overwhelming people if he hasn't had a good feel for other stuff. Burns's bottom game is very good. He's you know an exceptional grappler. He's got power. Uh, I won't be surprised if Burns wins that fight. But I think th- I think the thing is they want to rehabilitate Masvidal. And give brain dead fans the rematch they felt like the fight they felt they were robbed of the first time. The fans who were probably disappointed with UFC 251, which reportedly did uh, 1.3 million pay per view buys. Yeah, I so, I expect it to be a commercial success, but again, like I don't know why anyone would be terribly excited about it. I. Maybe I just have too sober an assessment of that fight. Masvidal won every round. Two of People them by very, very wide margins. Uh, look, I, I this is one of those other things that I'm just I want to beat my head into a wall when people say like, no, Nate was about to come alive. We we're getting into the championship rounds, guys. If that's an argument you're trying to make, I have a statistic for you. Nate Diaz has not won a fourth round in his entire career. Ever. Mm. He's been to the fourth round twice against Benson Henderson and Conor McGregor. And that and he lost both of those rounds in both of those fights convincingly. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, he couldn't have. I'm not saying that there's not an argument to be made that Diaz's pace and cardio as the fight continues might not have created opportunities. They might have. But if you're hanging this hat on, no, no, we were robbed of a, uh, you know, that was when it was all going to turn around. Nate's never had a good fourth round in his entire career. So uh, I expect so Masvidal what do you th- to do what he did before. <laughs> so what do you think? I, I guess that's two. That'll be 
250 will that be 255 will be Usman versus Burns and Anderson versus Nunes? Uh yeah. No. 255 is Figueredo and Garbrandt and Shevchenko and Maya. So that, would that be 256? Um for December, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cuz 253 is this month. So that means October is 254, November is 2 Okay, so December is 256. Um I mean, I like the Usman Burns fight a lot. I hope it's competitive. Yeah, I expect it's a competitive a fight. fight. I won't be shocked if it's a very uh, clinch-heavy affair that most people don't enjoy, but I can live with that. What are they doing with Leon Edwards? Is he ever uh, going to fight? Yeah, he's fighting uh, sometime in November. He's scheduled to fight Stephen Thompson to main event a fight night. Okay, okay. I think Edwards has, I, I got to say, I think Edwards, They've kind. Of, he's kind of let his career get away from him through this whole thing. Well, the travel restrictions really screwed him. Because remember, he was not supposed just to... travel restrictions well, himself too. Well, sure, he's there are some decisions he has made, but he was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley. Remember? Yeah, I before, know. Before those travel bans came down. And look, I, I said it before. I I understand why people don't care about Leon Edwards. I get it. He's an excellent fighter at attaining a moderately dominant position and maintaining it enough to win every single round of a fight. And that is, and I get why people find that very, very uninteresting. I don't blame anybody. Daniel Cormier says he doesn't talk enough. Uh, Cormier would say that. (laughs) Look, Cormier is at this point, basically a UFC shill. So everything he says is going to be filtered through that lens. But, there is a and look, well, to be abundantly clear, there's a kernel of tr- truth there. Leon does not has not done a great job advocating for Daniel himself. Daniel Cormier's words: Yes, I am. Why wouldn't I be? Look, they're paying you. I get it. I don't look if if I was they getting paid with the my, UFC, they changed my life forever. Look, if I was getting paid to be a shill, what he's getting paid to be a shill, I would be a shill. I'm not. I am not standing on moral high ground saying I would never. No. If if your if part of your job description is to filter everything you say through a lens that is favorable to your employer, fair play, that's part of your job. I'm gonna call it like I see it because it is part okay. of your job. Now, look, has Edwards done a fairly poor job of advocating for himself? Yeah, yeah, I he think, has. I I believe though you have to market yourself a little. Yeah, the you gotta UFC. Do it, you gotta do it to some degree. Look, the UFC does not do a good job at promoting fighters. What the UFC does is give you a giant platform to promote yourself, and you then either sink or swim based on those merits. And not everyone is equally suited to self-promotion in that respect. But it's very obvious that's kind of the tactic the UFC has. They aren't going to throw a tremendous amount of time, energy, and money behind every fighter. They're going to see who's going to kind of meet that in terms of effort that they put out promotionally and in terms of fan interest and then allocate the resources accordingly, which is a business calculation they've had to make. I Look, whether or not they could make more money overall by 
putting more time and energy into promoting someone like Edwards apropos of, well, sorry, with Edwards' minimal contributions to the effort? I don't know, maybe. But I don't know all the numbers. They know the harder numbers than I do, and they've made that calculus. Uh. Yeah, I, I I love, but I love the Usman Burns matchup. I hope that's a good fight. I really hope 253. Every there's no problems there because I lo- uh, I really love those top two fights. I mean, 253 is a very very stacked card. Um, wait, scratch that. No, the top two fights are exceptional. Everything are else exce- is kind of yeah. there. <laughs> okay, um, hang on. Let me, let me look yeah. through this. So Adesanya Costa, yeah. Who could possibly complain about that fight before it happens? If it sucks, I'll say so afterwards. But that's a that is the fight to make at middleweight. It's a great fight on paper. Can't wait. Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich. Excellent fight. I'm less interested in that, but it's the fight to make it 205 for the vacant belt. Let's get the machinery turning over. Let's see what happens. Um, okay, Dawidu and Tahugov, I don't care. Carol France and Brandon Royville might be all right. Diego Sanchez and Jake Matthews. Good God, who cares? Fight um, of the year candidate. <laughs> um, worst fight of the year candidate, maybe. Um, Brad Riddell and Alex De Silva is a pretty good fight, actually. Uh, yeah. I like Brad Riddell. Um, I'm picking. I am. I'm going all in on Blahovich. That's an interesting choice. And you want to know why? Sure. Reyes was on Ariel Hawani's. Uh, show the other day and Is all of in you'd show you hear he's you hear he's not doing that anymore right on what on youtube for espn yeah the monday show i don't know if this was this was one of his longer espn interviews on his youtube on the espn mma youtube channel so i don't know if this was broadcast espn okay so um, I think it was ESPN, you know, ES because yeah, yeah. ESPN and MMA has a, you know, digital YouTube. Mm-hmm. It was one of those interviews. So okay. I don't think it was a broadcast interview, but, all right. uh, all he had was a mountain of complaints, just a, a mountain list of complaints about this fight. Short notice. It is. In fairness. Blah, blah, blah. Just complain, complain, complain. Jones is running away. Blah, blah, blah. Jones didn't want to fight me. I have to take this fight on six weeks. You know who took a fight on six weeks' notice to fight for the UFC title? Just at, right after he fought Robert? Who? Guess. Guess who? Oh, I don't know. There have been a lot of short notice fights like John that. Jones. John Jones. John did take that fight on short John notice. Did not, and, Don, and John Jones did not complain as much as Dominic Reyes. John didn't complain one iota about that fight. And, yeah. and he took that fight right after a fight where he where he murked. He I mean, murked Ryan Bader, okay? Yeah. Oh, he, I, my favorite description of that fight, and it comes from John, he made Bader pull guard on him. Which he did, by the way. Bader pulls guard right before that finish. It's hilarious. Dominic, and here's my point. I do not see any, I don't see a fraction in Dominic Reyes as what I saw in John Jones back when he got that title fight. Nobody has that. 
nobody has that. Do you have it, you and I have watched this sport long enough. How many people in the entire history of this sport, short as it may be, have had what John Jones had on the come up? I mean, nobody. That's my point. They, I don't see. Well, I I don't see champion when I look at Reyes. If your only com- if your only point of comparison is John, that's a touch unfair. I don't Cause, think cause so. Because nobody compares to John. Because he fought, he fought Johns, and I didn't see it. I didn't see the desire. I didn't see the desire to go over the finish line. He tried to, he tried to, he went on, he tried to coast to a victory. He doesn't. I'm saying that when you ha- become one of the greatest ever and, and to become a champion. I feel like you have to be to me the difference between the champions and the challengers is what Dominic Reyes does not does not do. I'm sorry. I don't see him do the things I've seen other champions do, not just John Jones. It's a fair observation at this point. Uh, I think well, he's a good fighter, a good athlete, but you know, I have not heard. I have not heard champions can complain as much as he does. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but let's see. I mean, his last fight was in February, so six weeks may not be ideal, but it's most of it all got six days. Yeah. So that's uh, well, well, look, if getting if, more than six days, if the extent of his gripe was it was on short notice, I'd agree with him because it, I mean, like demonstrably, it's it's on short notice. It's less than he's ideal. Getting, he's getting a UFC title fight. Those don't come around every day. He should be Unless you're like, by a favor. Robert, my point is he's getting he's he's coming off a decision. The reality is he's coming off a decision loss to John Jones for the title. He's getting an immediate title shot off of a losing title fight for the title again. He's getting a chance to prove he can be a UFC champion. He's getting a chance to change his life forever. And all he's doing is complaining. I'm sorry. That says that's that says that says everything in the world to him as an athlete. To me, I don't I don't feel like he believes he can win. I don't feel like he believes he can be champion. That's my hypothesis. Fair enough. I tend to think he'll win here. I I mean, it, uh, the reality of light heavyweight is it's a crap division. It just is. I'm picking Blahovich. You cannot overlook Blahovich. I'm not overlooking him. The man has Blahovich has serious power. And, and, and yes, Blahovich up up until a few years ago was was a journeyman, undeniable. But look at what he's done lately in the last four years. He's had a couple of good wins. I think it's telling that his best wins in that period of time, two of them were over blown up middleweights. And one of those was just an absolutely trash heap of a of a fight. Okay. But he knocked Corey Anderson out of the UFC. I'm grateful for that. Uh, I won't be surprised if he wins. Because the man has power. He's got a good ground game. It's not, you know, exceptional, but it's very, but it's good. He's, he's turned it. He has turned it around, though. 
Yeah, he, he was a guy who was a fairly unimpressive just body in the UFC, and now he's a contender. It, it benefits you to be in a very weak division, because even an unimpressive guy can mm. wind up getting into the title picture. Or girl, for that matter. Well, he's earned he has earned this shot at the title, undeniably. Yeah, I, I, I'm not disputing his his claim to being a contender. He absolutely is. He's on a he's got the right wins in the right kind of fashion recently in high profile spots. He should be fighting for the belt. I am not disputing that at all. Mm-hmm. I, oh, you want to know what else? Conor McGregor didn't complain when he had to take um, Chad Mendes. At the last minute over, that was how many weeks was that? Like less than two, right? I'd have to double check. It was short. That was very, that was very short notice. It was, oh yeah, it was very short. And arguably, Mendes was a very dangerous matchup for him. Very dangerous. Yeah, stylistically. Styli- we, had stylistically. Not, we had not seen, we had not seen McGregor fight and uh, a prepared wrestler in a long time. And then, don't get me wrong, Mendez was utterly unprepared for that fight, which contributed to why he lost it the way he did. But Mendez, I, I heard Mendez was training to be an alternate for that fight, as I recall. Yeah, yeah but even his alternate status but was, McGre- was short. My point is, at that time, McGregor did not bitch and moan as much as Reyes is right now. And it's really, to me, it's off-putting. That's it's fair. off-putting and it's a turnoff. Uh, I'm like, he, he doesn't – like, why is he not excited? Why is he not excited? This is like his livelihood. Uh, this, why is what, do you, this is uh, what you train f- to do for years. This is your sport. You have an opportunity to become a UFC champion, and he doesn't even sound happy and excited or anything. I don't that know. He's I getting mean, this everyone's, opportunity. Everyone's preparation is different. <sighs> Some people don't get excited. I mean, when did Joe, maybe a bad comparison for you personally, but when did Jose Aldo ever sound excited? When he, when, when he was ma- in the W, when he was in the WEC. Oh, he never sounded excited. I, I think he did. I mean, he fought excited, but you know, his, any of his interviews, any of the, those pre-fight little video uh, stuff yeah, they do. Sure. He never sounded excited. Sounded like I'm going to show up and kill this guy. And he showed up and killed somebody. Yeah, but he wasn't. He, I don't ever remember him complaining back then as much as in the lead up to his title run as Reyes is right now. Like Reyes is just complaining and moaning, and it's very off-putting. I mean, look, I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying it shouldn't be off-putting. Some of it is. I'm but. not saying he he. I'm not saying he has to be excited, but like the things he's saying. It doesn't. It doesn't even sound like he wants to become. Cha- it doesn't sound like he wants to become champion to me. I, from what I have seen of him, which is very little at the moment in terms of his interviews, because I don't care about fighter. Okay. I don't care about fighter interviews. They're lying all the time. Right. They don't. T- they don't tell you anything of use. I think if I were to hazard a guess, he's not excited about fighting Jan Blahovich because why would you be? Because you're getting. Uh, why? Because one, because you're fighting for the UFC title. And if you win the title, you have, you have like, you're in, you're, you're in a position to make life changing money and set both 
your life and your family's life up for a long time. That's why. Eh, I'm not as sure about that as I used to think I was. Okay. Well, that's more to do with how the UFC not pays. Secondly, 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 no matter what, you're the UFC champion and you can say you're the best in the world in your weight class. And you're one of the best fighters can, on the planet. You can say it. It's not always true, but you can say it. Sure. But you can say it. I mean, Michael Bisping was never the best middleweight. Otherwise, player. look, he. otherwise, Robert, why is he fighting in the UFC? Why is he fighting at all? What is he? What does he want to what? Well, obviously, other, yeah. Hold on. Wants to fight John Jones and would have want. Yeah, I, I totally get that. But this is this is what. This is his situation, and he's and he even said himself the title is more important than John Jones. So he's getting a, a title fight. He's getting a chance to win the title. There uh, you go. The other thing about that is, you know, you watch you we have an interview where he chose the opportunity to air his grievances. Maybe a poor choice, but who's to say he isn't excited? We have a singular point of data. Moreover, who's to say his excited looks the way you think it looks? Not everyone reacts the same way. Not mm-hmm. everyone chooses to comport themselves the disapp- same way. I was disappointed with his demeanor, with what he, everything he said. Which is fair. Not, I, your reaction to it is entirely your own, and I'm not criticizing that. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, again, as far as that fight goes, at the moment I lean Reyes. I've got to go do some more serious tape study on him, though. But, uh, you know, one of them's going to win. And I don't know what that division does after that, though. That is a you know, light heavyweight is a terrible division. They'll figure it out. I mean, they'll have fights. I'm not saying they're going to shutter it, even if they should. They'll, have, they'll I mean, pro- you've got, probably you've got fight s- the winner of... Autos versus Teixeira if that fight yeah, happens. You've got that. You've got Rakic potentially rehabbing himself after that fight with Uzdemir. And now that Gustav and now that uh, Jones is gone, maybe Gustafsson will fight again. Yeah, he tried his hand at heavyweight. It didn't work out. Uh, again, it's just not a good division. It hasn't been for a really long time. And I think they've kind of I think it's lost the only kind of draw that it had, that being you know, watching maybe the best fighter in the history of the sport. I don't know how the division does in the wake of that. but I think John Jones is picking the right time to get out because... I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. You, the fights were getting tougher for him, and you can't deny that either. The fights were getting tougher, and... It's this weird combination. The fights were getting tougher and the money was getting lower. So I don't think, honestly, I don't think this division is bad as you make it out to be. It's, Quite frankly, it's not in a good spot. I mean, I mean, have you done the math? Have you done not, the math on the ages of this division? It's not quite as bad as heavyweight. Rakich is 28. Yeah, Rakich is the only guy in the – Rakich and Reyes in the top five are drastically lowering that average. Right. Because Blahovich, Santos, and Teixeira – I mean, Teixeira's over 40. True. Santos is 36, so fair enough. Uh, 
And look, I'm Uzdemir, not saying Uzdemir is still there. Uzdemir is kicking around. You have Yuri Prohoshka. Uzdemir, who just Uzdemir is dirty. Yuri is how old? I don't know how old Yuri Prohoshka is. Yuri is, Yuri is 27. Okay, he's young, so he also has one fight in the UFC. And apparently Anthony Johnson is going to come back. I know he's not a spring chicken either. He might be, uh, and we don't we don't know where he's going to fight though. Uh, I think I think when he said he was coming back, it was going to be at 205. Okay. Uh, I don't look, know. I don't know because he's okay. had a really long layoff if he comes he back. Yes. But if you want my big damning indictment of this division again. Shogun is still a top 15 fighter. Let's see. He is ranked 13th. All right. That's a fair, that's a fair criticism. But look, we have some new, we have some new blood. It's my point. We have some new blood. And Jones Jones is exiting the division coming off of some very competitive fights that he arguably could have lost. Especially the Reyes fight. The Reyes fight in particular was, that was real close. So, I don't think the Smith or Santos fights with I still don't get people who say that uh, they think Tiago Santos won that fight. I, I don't see it. I've watched that fight a few times. I've never been able to get my head around that. Jones is old, and Jones is older. Yeah. Jones is not the John Jones who murked Ryan Bader and Shogun. In back-to-back fights, he's not that. Uh, he's not I, the same fighter anymore. I'm sorry. He's not the same fighter. He would still murk Shogun and Bader in back-to-back fights if they well, <laughs> scheduled those. But probably. No, he's yeah. He's he's not the same guy. How could he be? And look, do I think there's is there potential cause to be optimistic about light heavyweight if we were to fast forward it by 18 months? You know, yeah, I, I'd say yes. You have some guys coming up. You have uh, you know, some unknowns at the top. There's uh, you can you can market you know the unexpected. That's certainly a possibility. So I'm not trying to say that at the moment we should be in perpetual doom and gloom. We should we should of course reassess as new information becomes available. As it stands, not a great division. Uh, yeah, you know. I, I agree, not great. But I mean, I I feel like it's in a better place than it was. A little while ago, even with Jones leaving. Uh, yeah, there have been periods of time over the last. Here's, here's kind of why. Here's kind of why. I think Jones leaving is almost a good thing because I feel that now the division is going to be a lot. It, it, we're going to freshen things up at the top. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And I. Is there some cause for optimism? Sure. Uh, I w- my optimism would be limited to at least, say, 10 months in the future. I think the next okay. 10 months for that division are going to be rough. Okay. But. So that – well, the optimism in me, say, let's see – let's reevaluate 10 months in the future. I'm so more than happy to reevaluate 10 months in the future because that's about the appropriate time to do so as well. I agree. The next 10 months, I tend to think it's going to be – it's going to be rough. After that, hopefully it gets better. Maybe th- things will hopefully be in a better position. But yeah, that is, for the record, that's 253, which those top two fights are just, they're great fights. I mean, the UFC has some great pay-per-views coming up, 253 and then 254. 
is 254 is a really good card, actually. Uh, you have Khabib and Justin for the lightweight title, which, yes. You have Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. Theoretically, you have Zabit and Yair, which at this point has been booked almost as many times as Tony versus Khabib. Uh, you have Rafael Dos Anjos going back down to lightweight. Uh, 254 is a pretty good card right now as well. So our next couple of pay-per-views at least uh, are looking pretty good. So hopefully they hold together, or at least the relevant fights hold together. Because some of those cards, if those main, if we have pro, if we have trouble with some of those at the top, eh, not good for the rest of the card. Uh, all right, let me check Twitter and see if anything crazy has happened that deserves to be talked about. Let's see. Uh, don't think anything MMA related has broken as it relates to that. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get into plugs then, because that's how we close out. So Jeff, it's again been a while. I know you've had some interviews and whatnot. What would you like to plug? So if you go to the 411 Mania YouTube channel or you go to the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast channel, which is on Apple Podcasts, I recently interviewed Rob Van Dam, a former WWE champion, who once headlined a pay-per-view against John Cena for a WWE title and won a guy who has wrestled a who's who of the business uh, in exclusive interviews. So please check that out. It's on Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, and uh, on 411 Mania YouTube. Uh, if you go on to the Apple Podcast channel, please give me a five-star rating or review. I would appreciate it. Other interviews I've done recently in the last month, uh, Calvin Tankman with Al, uh, MLW, and Natalie Ava Marie, a.k.a. Ava Marie, a uh, former WWE superstar who you may have heard of her, Robert. Do you know who Ava Marie is? Um, no. <laughs> hang on. I'm going to try. Uh, he wasn't a huge star, but you know. Vince wait, 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 wait. Wasn't she the uh, wasn't she the redhead that just got booed out of NXT? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Vague memories uh, of that angle. Uh, if you go to the movie zone section, I reviewed Muppets Now recently. Just because we're we're in threat level, we are in threat level purple over here in Southern California. <laughs> And getting to a working movie theater is a bit of an issue right now. So can't see movies, can't go to movie screenings, and we are very limited here. So uh, that is what is going on right now with me. Um, you do live thank in you, the, Robert. You do live in the yeah. worst worst managed state in the union. It is, it is really bad. So if you have sympathy for me, you can follow me on Twitter at wheeljack83. So if you just want to send me sympathy and feel sorry for me, I'd t- I'd take it at this point. I don't blame you. All right. As for myself, uh, let's see. This last week there was a double shot of damn you Hollywood reviews, 
in the morning on Monday, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina got together to review uh, the New Mutants. We did that first. I listened to that. That was a good show. Good job. I, I wish I could say the movie was good, but it wasn't. Then we also got together later in the evening to talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music, which uh, I did not care for. That should shock none of you, I imagine, at this uh, point. The review of the Star Trek original cast uh, podcast you guys did was also excellent. Yeah, we recorded that. Uh, let me see. That was my su- That's David Wright's podcast. He decided it would be an interesting thing to get together. Yep. That was David, me, Andrew Graham, and Mark Radulich. We recorded that a month or so, a month or so ago, closer to two months. Uh, David was kind enough to edit that down. Uh, it was very good, though. It was, you know. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was well done. Look, any chance I get to dunk on Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, I will take. I do like Star Trek IV, though, I have to say. Of course you do. <laughs> now, I look, for me, that, that movie's a comedy, first and foremost. If the humor misses you, you hate the movie. The humor missed me. I, that's kind of where I landed on that. Uh, we have another double shot of Damn You Hollywood coming up this particular week, Monday. Myself, Mark Radulich, and Alexis Haina will get together to review the Disney live act, Disney Plus exclusive live action remake of Mulan. I'll give you guys a free preview of my thoughts. Uh, bad dialogue, mostly bad acting, uh, poor cinematography as it relates to the action sequences, CGI a little spotty, uh, absolutely. Anytime they're not relying on CGI or they don't have to be tricky with it, breathtaking visuals. This, The movie looks beautiful 90% of the time. Can you ex- explain to me? $30 on Disney Plus now. Yes, sir. And yet in three months, it's going to be free on Disney Plus. Or you can watch the superior animated version for free right now on Disney Plus. If I did not have to review it, I would not have watched it. That model, Robert, that model makes no sense. They, I don't think they're going – it's not something they're going to go to very often, but – How budget- can you justify – how can you justify releasing something for $30 on a platform and then making it free three months later? It's well, that- not a live – it's not a live event or a pay-per-view, you know? Well, that's about what it co- that's about the window of time it would have been in the theaters before it would have been moved to VOD or streaming. 3 months is about the theatrical release window, right? Yeah. And but even still if it, it, it it's would it have been would it have been on Disney Plus in 3 months? I doubt it. Probably yeah, actually. For free though? Yeah. Yeah. That that's about the turnover rate of these things at this point. That makes no sense. It might have been closer you're to putting five. It, but you're putting it straight to Disney Plus now for thirty dollars. Yep. I don't I don't I don't get it. I can tell you why. I think in, in a single bit of expression. Do you know how much that movie cost? Uh the, at, le- at least 200 million. At the least pr- the production budget that I've seen was 200 million. That's before advertising. That's that's before P and L. Yep. Which can tack on another 
100 million, uh, possibly 150 million. Yep. They had to try and monetize the release of this movie somehow. I wouldn't have done it $30 on Disney Plus. I well, I don't dis to be clear, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, again, if I didn't have to review it on release, I would not have paid to see this movie. I would okay, have waited for fair. it to come fair. Well, I'm looking forward to your recap of it then. Yeah, so we're going to get together. Uh, Mark will have good things to say. I, uh, I will have my things to say. Alexis will have her things to say. Wednesday, I think the same three of us are getting together to talk about Christopher Nolan's release, Tenet, which I am very much looking forward to. Uh, Mark's already seen it. Robert M., why don't you? Uh, I actually have to decide if I'm going to go to my IMAX theater to see that. Hmm. That's a thought. Got to think about that. That was me rubbing it in, by the way. <laughs> yeah, rub it in more. <laughs> uh, I think Mark's reaction to it was kind of a giant man, but he said, I'd like it. And I like interesting movies, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I am looking forward to talking about it. So be on the lookout for those. If you follow the W, the uh, Rattledge and Broadcasting subgroup of the W2M network, we churn out a lot of content. And double shot of Damn You Hollywood this week for two movies that were supposed to be big, big summer blockbusters. And sadly, neither of them will make will reach that particular category. Uh, but we'll discuss the entirety of the films. We'll talk about the critics. We'll talk about the money. You guys, if you're not listening to Damn You Hollywood, you're missing out. We are... A lot of fun for movie reviews. It's craft. It's how we would improve some of it. We don't just leave it there. We talk about the financial realities. We talk about how much other critics suck because there's so many of them that are just unbelievably bad at their jobs. We kind of decided that we needed a whole segment where Mark finds the worst ones and drives me crazy. I'm still depressed about the letter I got from Rotten Tomatoes. You got a letter from Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, I did. What did it say? Do you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. Just give me a second. You just give me the substance. You don't have to quote it. Uh, they said it was too summary heavy and not enough analysis. Wait. Were you applying for... Um, to, be on the, for to be on Rotten Tomatoes meter. You're trying to get on the tomato meter. And Correct. They, tur they turned you down. Yes. Those yeah. morons. Oh, okay. sorry. I, I I have a new thing to yell about on, on Monday then. Okay. Your reviews do not currently demonstrate the level of analysis that we look for in our approved critics. The review samples provided rely heavily on plot summary and are more comparative than analytical. Uh, that, was a, that was a white needle. A white needle right in the heart. Okay. As but, it was, but it was feedback. So... Constructive uh, criticism. Constructive criticism is always good. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, look, I I have been given feedback on occasion about uh, some of my coverage, be that of MMA or professional wrestling, and some of it was needed. Uh, I was needed to tweak what I was doing. Uh, pro wrestling in particular, somebody said, shut up, stop. This is not a quote. 
stop giving me move by move and you know, give me more of a feel for the flow of the match, which was, okay. I needed to hear that because it's probably true. Uh, I can get bogged down in the weeds on some of that stuff. So, but I have heard the crit, I have read critical, some of the critics that you, that uh, Rotten Tomatoes has you know, made. So official. have I. So based and... on, based on some of what I've seen on Rotten, the Rotten Tomatoes meter, I'm a little, surprised yeah i would be surprised too i've seen look i've heard their top critics that are just morons to the nth degree who have just some of the dumbest reviews i'm not going that far i'm just saying i'm i will because i hear them i hear their reviews i read some of their reviews there's some of those people who have just the i don't know how they miss the point sometimes they miss they'll, they'll like posit a question or part of their review will be, well, I really wish X had been addressed. I put my head through a wall because there's literal lines of dialogue addressing X. I don't know how you miss that. But I'll tell you want to know, you want to know one thing why, and this is something now, look, everyone's different. I've before this whole pandemic, I would go to screenings and I would see tons of critics not tons, but a good deal taking notes during a movie. And I just don't know how you do that. Uh, I, I know how you, I can see how people do that. Uh, I don't, but, I don't, but if you're, t- if you're right, if you're writing on a notepad during a movie, that means you're not immersed to me. It means you're not immersed in the movie. You're not immersed in the story. And if you're taking the time to write things, you're taking your eyes off of the movie and you're missing important you're you're paying attention to your notepad and what you're writing and you're and you're not and and you can and if it's a visual story you are missing important visual elements so you could be missing something that visually explains or answers your question am i wrong it could depending on the subtlety of the film involved and uh how they're choosing to tell the story look my my thought on that is if you're going to take notes okay but you then have zero excuse for missing bits of dialogue. Uh, so yeah, I that I'm a little bit surprised that they I just you can't down. I can't ta- I can't take notes during a movie. I just can't. I I don't mostly because I don't need to. I have really good recall, but some people so don't. Do so I'm only going to judge so much people who you know. There's other things I do take notes during or. You know, the fact that I have good recall for film and good eye and a good eye for detail doesn't, you know, there's people who can do math in their head that I can't do with a calculator. So, you know, we're all different in that respect. All right. But that's where you can find Jeff and I for the coming week. Thank you all very, very much for being here, for tuning in, for supporting us, for sharing us around. Uh, we deeply appreciate all of it. We'll be back next week to review UFC on ESPN plus 35. And... Yeah, it'll be next week. So we will be previewing kind of a big one, actually. Um, We'll be previewing UFC on ESPN plus 36. Uh, This card is main. Your headliner for this card is Colby. The grudge match between Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. Now, that's a fairly big deal main event. Uh, The rest of that card. We have Cyril Ghosn and Shamil Abdurahimov. Uh, let's see. Give me something interesting. Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann. Okay, Kamzat Shemaev and Gerald Mershart. 
Okay. It's not a deep card. Oh, Donald Cerrone and Nico Price. Somebody's going to die. Okay. There's a few fights on there that are pretty good. We'll have a full preview of that next week, so please come back for that. Until next time, as always, I'm Robert on behalf of Jeff. Thank you again. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.